you, gentlemen. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 146, or you can find it printed in your bulletin. Hear now as I read from God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Thus far, God's holy word, let's pray for his blessing on it. Our God, we do ask that you would bless this delivery of your word today, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once again, as I was browsing the internet, I found a story on Reader's Digest. Yes, Reader's Digest, the one that I thought ended in 1990 in my grandma's bathroom. Uh, But Reader's Digest is still producing articles. And this one was Extraordinary Stories That Show the Power of Trust. Stories that show the power of trust. Lisa Randolph from Richmond, Virginia. Her son was born roughly five weeks premature. And everything seemed okay, even though the child was a preemie. But then she noticed a little bit later some blood in the diaper. She goes to the pediatrician, hey, what's wrong? Pediatrician says, I think it's okay, it's for this reason. But she says, I didn't trust what she said. And my gut said, get a second opinion. I decided to trust another doctor. And he discovered that my son had a very serious intestinal illness that can be common in premature infants, and that it can sometimes be fatal. And if we had waited even one more day, he might not have lived. He was admitted and treated for 14 days in the hospital. Today, he is 13 years old, and hear what she says, thanks to my trust in a fantastic team of doctors. She's praising this doctor and this team of doctors because of their reliability and their trustworthiness. And they came through in the instance of saving the life of her son. You yourself can probably think of times in which you have really needed to depend on an individual person, and they came through. And you'll never forget that that person came through for you, and they changed, you know, I'm alive because of them. I have this career because of them. I have this family because of them. They came through, and I will always honor them for it. 
And what I want to do this morning is argue from the lesser to the greater. If we do that with another person, how much more do we do that of God? That we praise Him. That He is praiseworthy because He is trustworthy. And so as we walk through Psalm 146 today, that's what I want you to walk away with. Is God is praiseworthy because He is trustworthy. That's our indicative. Our imperative is praise Him and trust Him. But God is praiseworthy because He is trustworthy. The first thing that the psalmist does in the first section of the psalm is call the people and call himself to praise. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. What does it mean to praise? I mean, the word is used a whole lot. And it simply means this, to recognize God for what He is due, for what He deserves, for who He is, and for what he's done. And the result of that is crying out to him, to, is, is exalting him in praise. And there's two different Hebrew words that are used, one for praise, another for sing praise. And the last section of the book of Psalms has an overabundance of these words. Psalm 146 sort of begins the crescendo in the book of Psalms from 146 to 150. And so, in that last section, the word praise or sing praise is used 41 times out of 59 verses. An overwhelming majority. And that doesn't even count things like extol, make melody to the Lord. Like Those are just the words praise and sing praise, if I counted right. 41 times out of 59 verses. And so at the end of the book of Psalms, it's like you can hear in that piece of music, that crescendo at the end when all of the voices come together and ah, I promise I'll only sing two or three more, more times. Um, but that, that's what I thought of when I read and when you see the last section of the book of Psalms, this unison of voices getting so loud together with praise and sing praise because of who God is and what He's done. And it results in an eternal duration of praise i will sing the praise of the lord as long as i live here on earth and in heaven continuing in praise i will sing praises to my god while i have my being it lasts for a long time it lasts forever i always like finding stories about army chaplains one was chaplain charles waters uh, chaplain in vietnam in 1967 This is an excerpt from his Medal of Honor citation. Medal of Honor citations can be really long, and so this is just, you know, some snippets that has a few of the pieces picked out. But Chaplain Waters in Vietnam in 1967, when he saw a wounded paratrooper was standing in shock in front of assaulting forces, Waters ran forward, picked the man up on his shoulders, and carried him to safety. As soldiers battled forward to an enemy entrenchment, Chaplain Waters ran through intense enemy fire to the front to aid a fallen comrade. When the paratroopers pulled back to prepare for an assault, Chaplain Waters exposed himself to both friendly and enemy fire between the two forces in order to recover two wounded soldiers. When the battalion was forced to pull back into a perimeter, you can kind of tell how this conflict has gone. There was a front, and then they had to pull back, and then they had to pull back again. So you can tell it wasn't going well just by what we're reading. When the battalion was forced to pull back into a perimeter, Chaplain Waters noticed 
that wounded soldiers were lying outside of the newly formed perimeter. This is my favorite part. Without hesitation and ignoring attempts to restrain him. Chaplain Waters left the perimeter three times in the face of small arms, automatic weapons, and mortar fire to carry and assist injured troopers to safety. Then he began aiding the medics, bandaging wounds, giving food and water, and giving spiritual and mental strength and comfort. It was during this time that while Chaplain Waters was giving aid to the wounded, when he himself was mortally wounded. You can guarantee that every single one of those men that he carried out would remember every single day they woke up. I am here because Chaplain Waters carried me out of there. That's why I'm alive. How much more so us think of that of Jesus Christ. He really is the one. Our enemy was God. While we were yet sinners, Christ went on to that battlefield. When God's sights were trained upon us, when His bullet of wrath was pointed at us, Christ is the one who went out there and took the bullet, as it were, carrying us to safety. And every day we wake up and say, I am alive because of Christ, because He carried me out, because He brought me here. That's what I want to inculcate in our hearts. This love and desire and praise, even more so than a man saving another man, but the Son of God saving us. That's who we praise. And that's why we praise Him. But the psalmist, he turns from praise to the concept of trust. This is who we praise, the Lord. And he, his first exhortation is, is a challenge or a command to not trust. Don't put your trust, verse 3, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Why do we not put our trust in a man, in any individual man? Because there is no salvation in him, verse 3, and his plans are temporary. On that very day, his plans perish. I feel like as I read that section, and we, when you contrast it with Christ, it's as if the psalmist is being intentionally messianic, but just in the opposite way. You know, the Son of Man, he perishes, and his plans depart. But if you think of the Son of God, he died, but he rose again. And in that rising, his plans don't perish. His plans are actually accomplished in his death. In the upside-down, topsy-turvy way that God turns the wisdom of the world, it is through the Son of God's death and resurrection that His plans are accomplished. His plans didn't perish. And that's why we can put trust in Him. He rose. But the plans of men can seem attractive. Why do we turn our eyes somewhere else? Because there is something in them, just like a little fish hook. It's so tiny, but it just pricks into our skin and just tugs us. And then, just like a, a bitten bridle in a horse's mouth, we get turned another way so easily. As I was thinking about this and this concept of trust and putting your trust in somebody else, I was reminded of the Jungle Book because we watch a ton of cartoons in my house. Rudyard Kipling wrote the Jungle Book in the late 1800s. It chronicles a fictional story of a young boy 
in the jungles of India who was raised by wolves and he's traveling out of the jungle. But he doesn't want to leave the jungle. And of the several characters that are in the book, one of them is this giant python named Ka. And Mowgli, Mowgli's the little boy, Mowgli knows that he cannot trust Ka. And so the first time that they're talking to one another, Mowgli, Mowgli's hiding his eyes as, as Ka is trying to speak to him. And then Ka says something. He says, I can make sure that you never have to leave this jungle. And then Mowgli drops his protection and he locks eyes with Ka. And then Ka knows he has him. And he hypnotizes him. What did he do? He just told Mowgli something that he wanted to hear. I can make sure you don't have to leave this jungle. Now, sure, you're never going to leave it because leave it you're going to be in me. I'm going to swallow you whole. See, it's the truth, but it's a twisted end. And that's what the enemy will use to draw our hearts away. I can make sure that you have that. I can make sure that you feel this way. Whether it's a man, whether it's an internal temptation, whatever it is, it is something that is drawing our eyes and our trust somewhere else. And so I challenge you, who are you looking to whenever they say something that they're going to deliver and what are they delivering it? Or what, how are they delivering it and what are they delivering? Is it something that feeds godliness in your life? Or is it something that is feeding an idol? And that's why it's pulling your heart to them. Whoever it is, a politician, a prince, a king, a person that we know, put not your trust in man. His plans perish. He departs. His breath departs. You notice in the psalm, there's this theme of duration. That the psalmist is going to praise as long as he lives, as long as he has his being. But the prince, his breath departs. God endures forever. He reigns forever. You notice all of these words that refer to time and duration and what what i want to remind you of especially if you are not trusting in the lord jesus christ as your lord and savior your breath will depart you might think that you have time but we don't know we don't know the moment whenever the lord has it that our days on this earth are over and to think that you have more time is one of the most dangerous things John Owen said it this way, Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die in order to concern themselves with their eternal welfare. You can hear the voice of Ka in this. You can hear the voice of the snake. You've got plenty of time. You don't need that Jesus stuff. Just live your life here and you can think about it later. Alive from the snake, alive from the pit, alive from the deceiver to get people to turn their eyes off God and anywhere else. Turn your eyes anywhere except Yahweh, except God. Well, after saying, this is who you cannot trust, this is who you should not trust, the psalmist turns to giving grounds or reasons for our trust and praising God. So, praise God. Don't trust in man. This is why you can praise and trust God. And the first thing he does is identify God as our creator. 
Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And verse 6, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. We can trust and praise God because he is our maker. Who would you trust? Who would you like to ask to do your plumbing, to create a painting, to wire your electrical? Whatever it is, you ask a professional, someone who knows what they're doing. Once again, with a toddler in the home, we have lots of drawings that happen. And, you know, sometimes Leaf tells me this thing is what it is, like this is a fish, and, you know, I have to be honest, I just can't see it. And then he's like, well, Daddy, can you draw one? And so then I try to draw a fish, and it doesn't look any better. So who would you trust to create a picture? Kurt, or would you trust a Rembrandt? I want Rembrandt. Who would you trust to create and manage the plan for your life but the master creator himself? He is the master artist. He is the master manufacturer, the one who made everything, who knows how it works, and who can give you exactly what you need in the midst of it. That's the first grounds that the psalmist gives for trusting God. He's the creator. But also, again, here's our time theme, he has a longevity of faithfulness. Verse 7, well, latter half of verse 6, who keeps faith forever. Who keeps faith forever. He's faithful for a really long time, forever. You know, you drive by advertisements uh, for businesses, and they'll have signs that say, you know, Doing business since 1976. Doing business since, you know, 1905. They've been in business for, you know, 100 years, more than 100 years. I looked up a few. Remington Ammunition. Been in business since 1816. It's pretty good. They've got a longevity of doing business. The oldest, op, the oldest company that is still operating in continuity is a Japanese construction company called the Kongo Gumi Corporation. And this Japanese construction company has been doing business since 578. They've got some construction experience, don't they? Ladies and gentlemen, God has the experience of eternity past, and he has been in the business of fixing the broken things for thousands of years. He's got a longevity of faithfulness. He has the experience. And that's one of the grounds for us putting our trust in Him and not in anybody else whose breath departs, whose company goes under. It's going to happen again and again and again. And then the psalmist gives examples of his faithful deliverance. Verse 7, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free, he opens the eyes of the blind, he lifts up those who are bowed down, he loves the righteous, he watches over the sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Who does this sound like? Who is it that gives sight to the blind? Who said it of himself that he sets the prisoners free? Jesus. I think I heard someone say it. Yes, Sunday school answers, God, Jesus, Bible. Uh, Jesus is the one who, remember when he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah in Luke 4, 
And he says these words about himself. That Yahweh sets the prisoners free. That I've been sent to restore sight to the blind. And then, actually in Luke 4, he starts saying some things that are a little bit different, that sound like this psalm. He starts talking about widows and foreigners because the people are, the people are coming in opposition to him whenever he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah. And he says, look, there were a lot of widows in Elijah's day, but Elijah was sent to a widow outside of Israel, to a widow in Sidon. And look, there were a lot of foreigners, sojourners. So hear that reflected in our psalm about the sojourner and the widow in verse 9. Hey, look, people, there were a lot of sojourners, foreigners, in Elisha's day, but Elisha was sent to Naaman, Naaman the Syrian, the non-Israelite. And I think, my, my impression is, that as the hearers in Jesus' day, as, the, as he is explaining to them, quoting from Isaiah, and then it's like he's quoting lyrics from a song about sojourners, and widows. Remember, the Psalms are the first hymn book of Israel. They know these songs like we know in Christ alone or the power of the cross. They know these lyrics. And what happens whenever someone tells you that line from a song? And maybe, maybe they're not even intending to tell you a line from the song. They're saying something else, but it is a line in a song you know, and it just starts to play in your head, and you can't get it out of your head. That's what I suspect could have happened to those hearers. Jesus is saying this is him from Isaiah. And he's, it's like he's quoting these lyrics from this song we know. And he's saying, this is him? Yahweh is the one who's doing these things. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down. He sets the prisoners free. He's watching over the sojourner and upholding the widow. Oh, no, no, no. And what do they do? They try to throw him off a cliff, literally. They do the exact opposite of what the psalmist is calling them to do because he has reminded them of what they've sung, that I am Yahweh. I am the one who sets the prisoners free, who takes care of the widow and the sojourner. It's me. It's Jesus. The last reason, the last grounds that the psalmist gives us for trusting God is the longevity of rule. He's faithful forever, He also rules forever. Verse 10, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. When I thought about this idea of reigning forever, I thought about the Hallelujah Chorus in Handel's Messiah. And at the end of Handel's Messiah is whenever in the Hallelujah Chorus you get that rolling rotation of He shall reign forever and ever in this other party. And ever and ever. And it just builds and rolls over top of itself. And you hear Handel trying to compose what eternity, what reigning forever sounds like. That's the best that we can get on this earth, right? But it's that sound of ruling and reigning forever that is over and over and over again. It sounds like an eternal reign. He rules over it. He rules over his creation. He rules over us. He is the manager. We talked about businesses a second ago, about how businesses have been in business for a really long time, been uh, doing faithful work, 
but how God has been faithful for longer. Well, what happens whenever you drive by a business that says, under new management? What does that say to you? What it says to me is, we recognize that we stank, we got a new manager, we think we're doing better, give us another try, please. Whenever we see a sign that says, under new management. There is never a sign of new management with God. He is always the one that is correctly managing and providing for his people. I mean, what do you do whenever you want to get something fixed in a business situation? Can I talk to your manager? Okay, you know, here's the stone wall. Finally, you get to the manager. The manager is like, well, I can't do that for you. Uh, you know, that requires a level three ticket. Okay, give me, the level, give me the level three guy, the four guy. And you just keep going up the chain until hopefully you can try to get what you want because you need someone who has the supervisory authority to say yes. Brothers and sisters, God is the ultimate supervisor, manager, authority. That's why we can trust him and go to him with all of our requests. God, I need this. Help me, please. Change my heart. Give me something that I, don't even, that I don't even realize. Give me something that is good for me that I might think is not good, but you know that it's good for me. You're the manager. You're the creator. Help me. We can cry out to God because he's in charge. Well, I would just want to remind you of this as we've come to the end of this psalm. Our breath will depart. My breath will depart. We are reminded of that even more so this week perhaps than other weeks. These past several months or years, maybe more than other years for various reasons and various aspects of all, our, all of our lives, we will pass away. Even pastors of a church, we will not be here forever. I mean, I'm not speaking for Josh or myself that we're going anywhere soon, but even if a pastor is in a position for the entirety of his pastoral career, his breath will depart and there will be another pastor. And so it's a reminder not to fix your eyes on any one under-shepherd, but to fix your eyes on the good shepherd, the one who rules and reigns forever, who's in charge, who's the creator. He's the one whose breath will never depart, who, who never departed and then was raised, you could say. That's why we look to him, because he's not going to let go. Any of us, any other man, woman, or child, we will let go. We will let go of life, and we will let go of you as a result of it. But God will never let go. Reminded me of an anecdotal illustration that I read. A little girl and her father were crossing a bridge. Must have been a bridge with no sides, because he says, please hold my hand so that you don't fall in the river. And she says, no, Daddy, you hold my hand. What do you mean? What's the difference? She said this, well, if I hold your hand and something happens to me, chances are that I may let your hand go. But if you hold my hand, I know for sure that no matter what happens, you'll never let go of me. We don't have our grip on God as much as he has his grip on on us and that's why we can praise him because he's got his grip on us and we can trust him let's pray
God, we thank you that you are trustworthy. And we praise you for that. Thank you that we put not our trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no life, in whom there is no salvation. Lord, we ask that you would keep our eyes from being turned to the temptations of this world, to anyone else who would draw our gaze away by giving us the tempted satisfaction of an idol. Would you keep our eyes fixed upon you and keep your hand firmly placed upon us? We know that you have us in your grip. We thank you and praise you that you will have us all the way from now until our journey across that bridge into the house of Zion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.